0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, lots of chatter in regard to uh, schools and uh, what is happening. We remember that prior to Christmas, prior to the holiday, uh, obviously uh, experts were trying to keep the schools open as uh, long as possible in order to, because uh, that's where kids need to be. That's, uh, experts say they need to be in school, not out. Uh, however, what has happened is uh, the positivity rate of kids has uh, has quadrupled uh, for those under 13 since uh, the Christmas break so uh kids have been off and uh obviously well and we remember the Leger poll where uh, almost 50% uh, said they did not stick to protocol and stay within their family circle, uh, and instead, uh, half went outside of that circle, and uh, I believe it was Dr. Bogosh that said, this is exactly what a, uh, a uh, post-holiday COVID-19 surge looks like, and what is the result of this is is now the kids uh, have been infected while out of school. Do you turn around and put them back in school? Well, obviously, the answer is no. So to talk more about all of this, Chris Bauer, Research Chair in the Department of Applied Mathematics at the University of Waterloo uh an expert at uh at analyzing these spreads and he is with us now chris thank you for the time i hope you're doing well
1: hi scott thanks for having me
0: uh your thoughts i'm not sure if you saw the premier's uh, news conference earlier on this morning but uh he and the rest of of uh the staff up there a pretty somber tone of what is going to come out with modeling uh early next week your thoughts on all of this
1: yeah, well, I haven't seen those those models yet, but I've I'm, I've been following the numbers like everyone else, and and the changes we've seen in percent positivity uh, in all ages, but especially in kids, is is uh, really staggering, um, and uh, uh, and uh, so so this is very concerning, and it was it's definitely a good call to keep schools closed uh, a bit longer beyond the end of the winter holidays. I think that was the right decision.
0: Um, we had a, an expert say yesterday that uh, this is what a, a post-holiday surge of COVID-19 look, uh, looks like. Is this a result of us being a little too friendly around the holidays?
1: Yeah, you know, it's probably a, a mixture of that. It's probably largely that uh, combined with the usual seasonal conditions, so, right. uh, which is more of a long-term thing. So, so, uh, you know, as winter proceeds, it, it gets a bit colder. People spend more time indoors. So I think that combined with, uh, the mixing that went on, which really stirred up the pot is, is, is what's behind all this.
0: So, uh, obviously, uh, you know, things have worked out quite well in schools for a while. Uh, obviously, a controlled environment, um, you know, controlling who goes in, who goes out, the protocol once you are in school. Slowly, as we've seen community spread increase, we have seen um, uh, spread in the schools as well. They've said that it's not necessarily a source, but obviously, if it's in the community, it is eventually going to end up in the schools. But, man, if we're having a positivity rate uh, that's sitting around 19% percent for kids age 12 to 13 uh, I think school is the last place you want to put them right now isn't it uh, how where will these numbers have to go before you feel safe about getting them back in the classroom
1: yeah I'm not sure uh, in terms of percent positivity I'm, I'm not sure what the cutoff is but uh, but you're right that it's it's a pretty dangerous situation to have so many cases occurring due to the community transmission and then putting those kids in the school especially because the amount of transmission in schools, I I think, is underestimated. Uh, And, you know, as you pointed out, they do have pretty good controls in schools, you know, compared to letting your kids walk down the street with their friends or go to their house. In a school, it's controlled. They've got to wear masks. Uh, But there's two crucial things to remember. First of all, sometimes it's hard to enforces protocols, especially with the younger children. Yeah. So they bunch up together and they have to be reminded over and over and over again, not to be so close to another. Uh, and they, they just aren't as good at, at, at internalizing these rules as say high school students. And the second big thing is that children, even teenagers are more often asymptomatic. And so for example, uh, if, if my child picks up COVID in the school, brings it home, but, but she's asymptomatic, and therefore, doesn't get tested, and then she transmits it to me, and I, as an adult, are are, are symptomatic, and then I get tested. That will not be classified as a school, really a transmission. Right. That would be considered the index case, uh, and and uh, not 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 the not her, not the school. So, you know, combined with the fact that we're probably underestimating uh, how much is transmission is happening in schools, means that. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, if we do want to reopen schools uh, in a few weeks, and I hope that we can we really have to redouble the control and make sure that we, we prevent spread as much as possible.
0: It seems, Chris, that, you know, since this started way back when, 40 some odd weeks ago, that, you know, the, the key word was testing, 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 testing. And we still, still don't seem to be at a point where we can, uh, you know, we can test. And certainly the capacity for testing has increased. But what has not increased is the capacity to, to test people rapidly. Um, now, uh, Minister Lecce was saying that come, uh, the 25th or whenever the kids do go back to school, that there will be a targeted testing in some schools. How important is that? And, and, you know, everybody's yelling about more testing, but we don't have that, do we? Like we just don't have the testing to conduct.
1: That's right. Yeah. So there's what I sometimes call a race to trace in these pandemics and that is that you've got a relatively fixed capacity test, but you've got cases growing exponentially. And if you've got too many cases, you, you, uh, you can't test rapidly and, uh, you can't do contact tracing, which means that the the epidemic is out of control and you have to revert to lockdown. So that's the stage we're at. Now, if we want to be able to be the state where we can, we, we, we can contain, contain the epidemic again, we would have to do a really strict lockdown for uh, for a month, get the cases down, and then if we can have a rapid enough testing rate, uh, then we could contain it without the need for the lockdown. Now, the, the targeted approach is that, um, that the Minister for Education is suggesting well, they'll definitely help uh, in terms of preventing school outbreaks, but in terms of the, the broader community t- t- transmission, the impacts will, will will be more limited because... What you know, really, what happens and has, has to happen is, as soon as someone uh, tests positive, for uh, as soon as someone goes in for testing for COVID, we have to know the result within 24 hours. A, that's the first thing. B, the next thing is that we have to contact trace. We have to be able to do that and get to all our contacts and say, you know, please isolate yourselves. And if we can really, uh, if we can do that, then we can contain it. Um, but if we can't, then the testing just kind of slows down the epidemic. It doesn't. It doesn't stop it on its own, and we need to combine that with lockdown, unfortunately.
0: We remember before the holidays, all the experts, health experts, whatever were telling us, you know, we've got to stay within our household. We can't gather. You know, whatever you do, you just can't gather. Whether you decide to go uh, stay in your house, whether you decide to go for a walk, you, you, you've you got to do it uh, within your immediate family and such. As I said, many predicted this would be happening post-holiday as people gathered and, you know, the weeks after we're at January 8th now. Um, obviously, we're going to see the holiday surge, I guess, for another week to 10 days or so. Uh, after that, do you see it leveling out, or if this is what January is like, what, what do you think February will be like? And I guess we'll all know uh, Monday or Tuesday when the modeling comes out. But do you think that by the end of the month we'll be over this holiday wave per se?
1: Yeah, I mean that's my guess. With the usual proviso, all else being equal. So that assumes that people have returned to their you know pre-holiday and pre-holiday intensity of, of efforts in terms of mask wearing and social distancing. Uh, you know, after, um, after the, these, these Christmas and New Year's holidays, uh, we, we don't have any big holidays really in, until Easter. Right. So yeah. hopefully there won't be any more big mixing events like we had over the holidays, uh, un, until at least then. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do anticipate that we'll be able to start tamping down cases, uh, I don't know if we'll flatten the curve, but but ho- the trajectory will, will hopefully slow down significantly, uh, and that's assuming, of course, that people don't say, "Well, we've got the vaccine now, so we're we're just going to um, you know stop wearing masks," and you know. So there is that unknown, um, but but if we can go back to you know how seriously we were taking it uh, back in uh, November, for example, that, then um, then I, I think at least the, the growth will slow down. Uh, even if we don't yet flatten the curve and start making cases decline.
0: You know, it's interesting, Chris, you just brought up Easter as the next holiday coming up on the calendar. Oddly enough, that was the first one that we missed last year.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a blast of reality. Uh, Chris Bowsman with his research chair in the Department of Applied, Applied Mathematics at the University of Waterloo, uh, specializing in the spread of uh, pandemics and such. Chris, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, you too, Scott. Bye-bye. are going to take a quick break here. When we return, a majority of Canadians want COVID-19 vaccinations to be mandatory. Boy, how do you balance mandatory and hesitancy? We'll try when we return. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Will and I were just talking off air about uh, vaccinations. And now, you know, I mean, we're talking about hesitancy. And now we're talking about a poll in which the majority of Ontarians want it to be mandatory. So then it's like, well, can they come to your workplace and do this? And then we're thinking, well, no, because you can't really have people in your workplace that aren't, that aren't associated with the work. So do you, what do you do with like a curbside vaccination? You know, could you do that at your work? You know, or maybe you go down to the front door and you just stick your arm out the door or your arse out the door and they, you know, have it in a blow gun and... You know, they shoot it to you from across the parking lot, Bing! oh, got me. Oh, you missed that one. I'm gonna need another one. Um, you know, I mean, how do you how do you do that? Um but anyway, uh that's the next debate. And oddly enough, we were talking about this when there was we weren't sure how many vaccinations were coming in. The discussion about making it mandatory was certainly put to the back burner. Uh, but now there is a, a, a new poll out that says the majority of Canadians want COVID nineteen vaccinations to be mandatory Uh, so says campaign research to talk more about all of this nick cabalas is with us principal strategist with campaign research and with us now nick thanks for the time i hope you're doing well yeah very well yourself I'm doing good, as best can be. You know, it is what it is. Um, to opinion, before we get to the actual nuts and bolts of what you found, how much are these opinions changing? Because it seems that one one day we're talking about hesitancy and nobody wants to get it, and then the next day we're talking about, no, it should be mandatory. I mean, it's amazing how this is just going back and forth.
2: Yeah, so I I haven't found that in our research, and what we're talking about today is, uh, is just over 1,000 samples in Ontario. So... Uh, and this poll is done with, uh, eligible voters in Ontario. So basically anyone who's 18 who can vote, um, it has access to, to completing the study. So we found over time, uh, whether it was, you know, a few months ago or now that about five out of 10 voters want the vaccine when it becomes available to them. Uh, they're certain about that and about one third of the voters, uh, in Ontario, um, Probably, like they say, maybe I'll take the vaccine, but I want to wait and see. And I think that's what you're referring to, some of the hesitancy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's about one out of 10 voters who just are certain that they don't want the vaccine. So that's kind of where that sits, right? So if you think about that, that's what we've been getting that in September and October and November, December and January. That number hasn't changed. Sometimes it's as high as 55, sometimes it's as low as 45, but it's around 50% know that they want to get the vaccine. So it's not surprising at all that about uh, a little bit more in our study here, 57% or 58%, um, yeah, it's 57 and a half, it rounds up to 58. So 58% of voters think the vaccine should be mandatory for all people living in Canada. That's not a surprise to me because we know that half the people really want it right away as soon as they can get it. And another third probably will take it. They just want to wait and see.
0: What kind of polling do you think you'll have to do if it was made mandatory? What sort of debate do you think we'd be having then?
2: Well, uh, look, I don't think there's, there are no vaccines that are mandatory in Canada for anyone, yeah. and I don't think that they're going to make it mandatory. Yeah. But I do think there's going to be a lot of social pressure for everyone to get it. And certainly for, you know, I'm not a doctor, but from everything I've read and heard, uh, you know, we've heard that if you, we want the vaccine to be effective and work, we need to get 80% uh, of the population vaccinated. So, what about? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say so the government's got some work on their hands to do to get, you know, government and other, other people interested parties need to have some work to do to market this and get people
0: there. Long before COVID 19, there was always sort of the anti vaxxer movement. Has this changed our opinion on vaccinations in any way? I mean, after think, I think, after the pandemic.
2: Yeah, I think the jury's still out. I mean, I think everybody wants to get back to normal and everyone is being told that the vaccination is the way to the way to get there. So there I think a lot of people are open to it. I still do think that there's, uh, you know, at least one in 10, if not more voters. Um, who are anti-vax or would prefer not to. I I can certainly speak for myself and my household. Like, we're not in the yes, certainly we want the vaccine category. We're in the maybe, we'll see, let's see how it goes category. Partly because we want to make sure that this vaccine is safe for us and partly because we're young and and younger. And uh, there's a lot of people who need the vaccine to get ahead of us
0: uh this obviously uh nick the first crisis of a of a privileged generation really uh, whether it's the kids or even ours um and, and a lot of us don't remember the outbreaks of polio and 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 what vaccination did uh maybe 50 60 70 80 years ago is this re-educating us is this our example of that therefore perhaps we're not as flip about it we're paying a little bit more attention to this stuff now
2: well, it's certainly, I think everyone's paying attention to it. The more people that are spending more time at home, watching the news, listening to the radio, um, you know, on social media. There is there is a significant debate, public debate about the vaccines. And right now, as you said, the op- at the top of your story, you know, the debate is you know, where's the vaccine? Is the province doing it fast enough? Oh, now the province is doing it too fast, and they don't have enough from the feds. But, hmm. but sooner or later, the mind starts to turn to, okay, it's about my turn to get this vaccine. If I get it, I can travel. If I get it, you know, will I not be able to travel if I don't get it? You know, should my mom get it, who's 70, but really healthy? I mean, those questions are coming now. And so that discussion is there. So everyone's talking about it.
0: As you mentioned, everybody has been locked down now for forty some odd weeks, uh, not locked down, but certainly restricted, and some in lockdown Now we all are here um and and these numbers fifty eight percent just under fifty eight percent wanting it to be mandatory if we were locked up if it was you know nine ten months into this, would we- do you think these numbers would be as high if we weren't locked up correct,
2: probably wouldn't be as high, yeah, yeah, you have to kind of assume that.
0: So as we move forward with this, obviously fatigue is setting in. Uh, where are our attitudes as we recover, as we get out of this, as we move into the summer and a vaccination is on the way?
2: Well, I think that's what everyone's looking forward to. When can we get back to some normalcy? And and, that, and normalcy is defined differently for for a lot of people because there are there's only a small group of people out there that um, I don't want to say hoax, that they think COVID's a hoax, but that they, mm. they're they not following the restrictions. And they're willing to tell us that in our research. And it's less than 10%. It's usually 6 or 7% that are clearly saying, you know, I'm going back to the way I was living prior to the pandemic, where I'm just out and about meeting whoever I need to meet, doing whatever I need to do. Um, you know, but more than 75% of the people are telling us that they are personally and their families are self-isolating, in their homes, avoiding contact, or they have very limited contact. And the people in the middle, the other 20%, are people who say to us, I have to go to work outside of my home. Yeah. I, don't, I don't come into contact with a lot of people, or I do come into contact with a lot of people, but I am trying my best to follow the protocols. So the, the majority of the population is there. Now, they've been telling us this, but we're hearing now new reports from government that the cell phone data is not matching up, that a lot of more people yeah, are out yeah, than they yeah. were in back in March.
0: So, Yeah, there you go. Uh, fatigue setting in. Nick Cavallis with his principal strategist with campaign research and uh, new work from them saying that uh, 58% want the vaccination for COVID-19 to be mandatory. Nick, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Happy New Year to you, your staff,
2: all the team there, and all your viewers and listeners back at you.
0: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Dr. for Farhadi, postdoctoral visitor in the Faculty of Education at York University and a secondary teacher at the Toronto District School Board and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
3: Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm doing okay.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Very somber tone delivered uh, uh, this morning by the premier and, and, and all those staff. Uh, what are your thoughts on on where we are today?
3: I listened to yeah to his um, his presser, and I didn't hear anything new. Um, I I heard he was scared. I heard it's a crisis. I heard it's really bad. Um, but. I'm looking to leadership to make hard decisions, um, and I, I don't want to hear my leaders scared. I want to hear my leaders telling us that there is a path forward. Uh,
0: what is uh, what are those hard decisions that have to be made?
3: Well, I mean, i not. That you say a,
0: aren't being made.
3: Yeah, well, I'm I'm not a health uh, professional. I, I think there have been a lot of professionals providing pretty clear sort of consensus around how to respond to the crisis in long-term healthcare care facilities, how to um, respond socially to folks who are, um, who are making personal choices that constantly get targeted. Um, these are systemic problems, and these are, these are not something that sort of an, in, an individual choice alone is going to be able to respond to.
0: So uh very wide uh, very wide shot there uh, doctor in, yeah, in terms yeah. of the in terms of the school closures uh, are you in agreement with that
3: I am I, I it's inevitable we can't have schools open but we can't talk about closing schools without talking about what um what we're going to do to reduce community transition we're in thousands we have thousands of cases daily it's increasing not decreasing um and I, uh, you know, closing schools alone isn't going to be the answer.
0: Um, y- uh, online learning, specifically, you're working on a policy enactment and research on the imp- implementation of an educational policy online during uh all of this obviously due to the pandemic uh we've had to, to to be quite nimble and pivot very quickly and and get up and running we remember uh even what it was like uh back in the spring when uh, the kids were locked out and and then uh had to go back so your your thoughts on where we are with online learning what the challenges are there and um and what we need to focus on
3: so I won't be so broad in my answer here. Um, mm-hmm. My yeah, my concern. I, I also have two children at home, and so I've got a kindergarten age student, um, and there's a grade three. My one of my grade threes right outside the door, um, and my concern is just mainly the amount of synchronous time, the amount of live time that, stu- that students are required uh, unilaterally to be online from K to twelve. I wish there were more flexibility so teachers can respond to the the circumstances of families. I wish there were more um, options for families who want to access learning um, on their own time, so asynchronously without it impacting their attendance. So those are, those are my primary concerns, especially for the youngest grades
0: so I you know we have uh, I have two kids here that are online learning one in university and one in grade eight Uh, and I remember uh, with uh, my son when he was in grade seven um uh you know coming out of of uh, the lockdown and such and it was uh it was pretty much hit and miss uh he did some summer stuff uh to uh to try to get up to speed and stuff and get on the ball and, and pick up what had been lost and i found in september when things got back that uh it was certainly a different scenario uh to start the year than the way we we finished the last one your thoughts on on how far we've come
3: so the biggest the biggest difference between the um that, that March, uh, when things shut down, is that there were policies that directed teachers not to penalize students who don't participate. So really, it was vastly different circumstances. I, I think it's great that teachers are offering, you know, that there are schedules for students who want to be live. I think it's, there, it works well for many families. But I'm teaching, I'm teaching an online course starting next week at York. I've got 375 students and 15 teaching assistants and it's all asynchronous. So I'm sitting here going, I'm not sure. And I wrote to my, my um, child's teacher how much I can support my kindergarten child being online because I have to sit beside him to help him cut, to help him um, focus. So there's a burden that's placed on, on parents and And disproportionately, that impacts women who are, um, you know, more often at home.
0: Uh, So for you, it's more live reaction needed, more one-on-one in the classroom participation, or the option to do that at a later time, like we see, for example, with my university student?
3: Yeah, I I don't think it has to be either or. I think teachers are... Uh, willing and able and it's is their their job and and are um you know they are they're doing the work of being online for students live I, i'm uh worried about parents who can't engage live um and what options there are for those parents to participate and there is definitely flexibility i think depending on the teacher but in terms of policy there is an obsession with the minister. Um and, you know, every time I listen to a professor, I listen for the words Zoom style, uh and this kind of fantasy that you can kind of put a student in front of a screen and uh, and that is just gonna work. Um, it really contradict some of the better practices in teaching online
0: i you know i understand what you're saying doctor in the sense you know my, my wife has anecdotally has a co-worker who uh working at home and his wife is a teacher uh and they have three kids under the age of 10 years old so you can imagine what that's like uh as you know they're in the same situation you are where with younger kids they have to tend to what they're doing and and as well, trying to teach a class. That being said, uh, this is what it is for the short term during this lockdown. Um, we can all wish it was different, but really, what are the options here? What can government, what can that leadership that you say is, is needed, how can that resolve that problem? I mean, it, it, uh, what you know we are where we are in the midst of a pandemic um again we can wish for things but what's realistic and what isn't
3: i mean i don't think it's um i don't think it's wishful thinking to say that we can have more flexibility in policy we can trust the professional judgments of teachers um policy doesn't have to be so restrictive i I think So,
0: uh, break that down for us because, again, that's extremely broad. So, does that mean allowing 180 hours
3: of, uh, so, 180 hours is mandated for kindergarten students. 180. Right. Um, There can be a range, and there can be a directive to school boards to accept attendance asynchronously for parents who are unable to meet the live or, or to make it to those live sessions. Right now, if a parent is not with their child online at 9 a.m., they get a phone call. In the right. afternoon, same thing. We don't have to, especially because it's an emergency, because there are so many um, diverse circumstances that uh, household members are under, it's not it's not feasible and sustainable to expect everybody to be able to be on a um, live meeting every day for hours on end. And 180 is the low end, right? We We move up to the, you know,
0: like but points. but again, I mean, first of all, you have to have some sort of guideline to shoot for uh, in a perfect scenario. Uh, but again, I mean, you know, we're we're getting notices sent from the board today and yesterday uh, where we live on how there's issues because the cable uh, in the area has gone down and that's cut some of the kids uh off so again I, you know i don't think people are going to be penalized for that as a result of that um you know i mean you bring up some very interesting ideas that uh that that can work but but boy <laughs> it seems that we're focusing on the fringes instead of the actual issue itself and that is surviving and getting through this uh, you know and uh, and i'm not sure and again we can all wish for better things but i'm not sure who or what is doing it uh, any better i you know again there's always room for criticism but i don't see the solution any different than than what we're experiencing is that is that naive
3: um i, I think it's I, I mean, I provided two very sort of simple, concrete ways of providing flexibility in policy. Um, and policy. So, think hang on, let's court- go back
0: to those. So, let's go back to those. So, number sure. one, the first yeah. one was, so allowing uh, the parents not to actually be there with the student. If the student checks out for an hour or two, they shouldn't be held to account or so responsible what is, for like that. When
3: we, think of, when we think about what it is that we want students to do, it's to learn. It, learning doesn't have to take place live. Oftentimes when you're live, you're watching a video, right? You're you're listening to a teacher explain something. I teach asynchronously. For me, anything that I can do that is requiring me to, to speak at the students doesn't need to be live. What does need to be live are opportunities for students to go through work that they've completed, for students to get immediate feedback from teachers so that when you log on, they're there. Um, that is is really the the stuff of learning. And I think that we focus too much, as you said, on the fringes, and that fringes is really about Not the quality of instruction; it's about the way that we want to structure the modality of instruction.
0: But again, uh, you know, Doctor, going back to the beginning of this, I think many were incredibly disappointed when this all started that the school system wasn't more nimble, and we just the sheer inconsistency we saw in in teaching. And I, and again, I can speak from my own scenario. There were some teachers that were going well and above what what they needed to do, and there were others that were barely uh, doing any sort of uh, basic. Minimum, and that's simply because those those templates were not in place. Uh, was are it we putting though, the or,
3: car- was it, or was it the fact that we were told as teachers not to? Um, well, our, my school direction was you know don't teach anything new. Don't. I understand anything-
0: that was coming from the union.
3: No, no, that was coming from, uh, this was coming from the school board. and But again,
0: I, I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a case of the curriculum. It was just a case that they couldn't get it up and running. There were so many teachers that just didn't want to do it or couldn't. couldn't technically, they just didn't have the technical ability to do that. Uh, well, I'm, 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 not talking, I'm not talking I'm not talking as much about yeah. I'm not talking as much about the content, but just the, the slow means in which it took to even get this up and running specifically because we, we've never done it before. So, again, I think the things that you're suggesting are great ideas moving forward. But but again, I mean, we're like 43 weeks into this and completely starting a new system uh, unless we I, I'm not sure who's doing this right.
3: I think that as we're going to see in the the next month or so, what those attendance numbers are going to look like. We're going to see if parents are going to be opting out because we can talk about what we have right now. But if we don't structure the the system with flexibility, then the impact is going to be um, on students who are going to miss their classes and not have an option to participate otherwise.
0: And and um, so you feel we're just not making fast enough progress with this?
3: No, I don't know that it's about progress. I think we're you know we're confronting a very real problem of parents being asked to do two things at one time. And you can put a teacher live in front of a, a screen, but that teacher cannot help a student who is having trouble focusing, a yeah. student who is not on camera, a student who is. Um, you know, so, so your
0: solution to this, and sorry to interrupt, your solution yeah. to this, and we're just running out of time here, is yeah, sure. to allow a flexible scenario so when there is time, they can do that one-on-one type of lessening. That's right. Okay again seems like a great ask um, but uh, you know I think many were just trying to even make the rubber hit the road here Uh, I don't think we're there yet I don't think government period is nimble enough to do this and I think we've seen this in the education system we've seen this with testing and vaccinations Uh, it appears the private industry is more able more nimble more able to pivot than what government has And, and, and again I think what you're saying are great ideas but man we've just been able to get this plane off the ground.
3: Well, maybe we just have different uh, expectations from our government. Well,
0: I think we all have the same expectations. Uh, I think we all want to educate our kids in the best way we possibly can. Um, But at 43 weeks into a pandemic, if there's something you could say to the education minister that he could change as of Monday, what would that be?
3: Listen to the education experts who are unanimously calling for the same thing I am. This isn't. This isn't even really debated amongst um, education
0: professionals. All teachers, but I think I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make here, Doctor, yeah. is you're asking for a more complex system, which is great. But uh, you know, governments of all stripes are barely even making this work the way it is.
3: Is it complex though to say that provide parents who are unable to access live learning with opportunities to attend and complete the work? Like not live. I, I mean, I, I personally, as an educator, um, I would, I would really appreciate that, that flexibility, and not, you know, feeling like I have to chase down students who have disappeared, and often involve um, community partners that take up a lot of my time because I'm trying to ensure that that student isn't penalized for not attending.
0: Up until the pandemic, no one was even interested in online learning, uh, especially from the teachers' union's perspective. Uh, here we are 43 weeks into it because we're being forced into it. It's it's just the way it is. Uh, are you confident that within the next year, say by September, that we can, you know, we can make online learning as good or, well, you're never going to replace in-person learning, of course, but that we can get a better model that perhaps includes some of the suggestions you're talking about?
3: Well, the, the provincial government had licensed the, um, you know, the platform since 2006. I've been researching online learning before the pandemic. My, um, my, the pushback to online learning has never been online learning. It's been mandating and forcing students to take it four times in their high school career. Um, in a way that's completely just, you know, asynchronous. So I think that my my view of it from the inside is that, you know, teachers have been incorporating technology in their courses for at least a decade. We just aren't seeing it because we aren't, like, paying attention to what's being done. Right now we have a fully 100% online learning situation, and I would love to see us get to a point where it's not either 100% or 0% and paying attention to the ways that teachers in the classrooms are already integrating technology.
0: Is there anybody doing this right?
3: Um, Of course, yeah. I think that there are a lot of, I mean, I I don't think that there's really like a mass outcry of parents saying um, that online learning right now isn't, isn't working. They're saying that they can't support their children. Yeah. accessing what they have, and what I'm saying is, I want, I want all students, students who are in the north, in northern Ontario, without bandwidth, um, students outside one hour outside of Toronto, outside of Hamilton, uh, to be able to access the same thing a, a, a student in a city can.
0: So, but again, you know, doctor, you know, doctor, uh, you know <laughs> there, there's only so much you can do in a certain period of time. Uh, you, you can't flick your fingers and, and, and put bandwidth up there overnight. It just doesn't work that way.
3: Exactly. So, which is why I'm I'm saying we need to stop obsessing with the live at the same time, right? Like, they don't need to be logged into Zoom.
0: Right. Right. To learn. Yeah.
3: That's all I'm saying.
0: But I'm, I'm guessing that the whole reason, you know, and again, when we started this, there was less of the live thing I was looking for. Oh, where's the teacher in the little squares? We now have that. But I think during the first period uh, of this, that wasn't there. And that's what was missing. So um you you, you know uh, um, at, at one time during this that's what the that's what the goal was was to bring back that live was to bring back that face to face was it not
3: I think there's a again this either or it doesn't have to be fully live and it doesn't right. have to be fully offline I would no, love that to makes- get
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Dr. Behan Farhadi has been with us, postdoctoral visitor in the Faculty of Education, York University, and secondary teacher with the Toronto District School Board. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
3: Thank you. You too. Take care.
0: It is 1254. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. News coming up at the top of the hour. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.